The Fried Egg Superintendent Series is brought to you by Toro. Among the countless reasons why we go to the course, communing with Mother Nature sits near the top of most lists. And the company most trusted to responsibly maintain our golf environments, Toro, continues to lead the way. Its line of all-electric and hybrid mowers and vehicles do their jobs as well as ever. Better, actually, because while their precision, power, reliability, and comfort remain the same, this new breed reduces engine exhaust emissions, noise pollution, and increases efficiency and ease of maintenance. If only our golf swings were that productive and sustainable. Follow at Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is with the Director of Golf Courses and Grounds at Congressional Country Club, Pete Went. Pete's a great guy, and obviously this week, uh, Congressional is uh, going to be in the spotlight. It is hosting the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. It is the first big tournament hosted at Congressional since their Andrew Green uh, renovation a couple years back. So it'll be really fun to see the new look congressional, which is on the docket for a few more uh, big tournaments, both women and men's in the near future. Uh, So without further ado, here is Pete. All right. It's uh, it's championship Tuesday. I feel I feel a little bit. I don't know. I feel like I'm stealing you right now, and you should be doing way more important stuff. Uh, walk us through what what these days look like leading up and then during the championship here. Sure. I think it's championship Wednesday, but I don't even it know It is what Wednesday. Day. See? I, okay, I, good. I've completely good. lost. I'm, I'm the one losing the plot. <laughs> oh, good. Because I thought it was Wednesday for sure, and you were really screwing me up here. But um, <laughs> So a typical day for me is... Uh, 2.15 wake-up call, and I get to work around 3 o'clock in the morning. We kind of get some coffee going, start game planning the day, which we already have game planned, but just if there are any changes. And then staff gets in about 3.30 to 4, staff and volunteers. Uh, by 4.15, we hope to be out on the golf course. Today, we mowed all surfaces. So, you know, we've got 100 people mowing fairways, tees, approaches. Um, it's, uh, it's moving and grooving. So, so two fifteen wake up, and in the office, like you, you're basically living like you live in the UK. You got it, pal. How, does it. that does that adjust back after the tournament, or are are you stuck there now? God, I hope so. <laughs> Let me tell you, um, you know. And the truth is, I'm I'm so glad we had some cloud cover yesterday, and the humidity came back, and we had the craziest week here, Andy. So. Friday afternoon, we had one of those weeks. I was talking to some other soups in the area, Stephen Britton being one. And 
we were talking, you know, we had one of those once every seven or eight years days where it was 95, 96 degrees, pretty humid. And then all of a sudden winds came out of the north. So, you know, there's a cold front blowing in and it was 30 to 40 mile an hour winds and the humidity broke and my team was just chasing grass. So, and then it stayed kind of coolish through the weekend, but the wind stayed up big time and there was zero humidity. So, you know, we were chasing the grass like crazy. And the last thing you want to do is peak the week before a tournament. You want to peak on championship weekend, not the week before. So these poor guys have been working from 4 a.m. until until 1030 at night. What's that chasing grass? What does chasing grass mean? Well, look, we're trying to keep the golf course as dry as we can. And in turn, uh, when the humidity breaks and you get a front like that come in and the wind is blowing so hard, everything is starting to wilt, right? So everything's dry. It's sucking all the moisture out of the ground and you've got wilt. So, you know, for the average Joe, you know, the turf is turning purple and black. Mm-hmm. So if you're not on top of it, you're, uh, you're going to lose a lot of grass. So for anybody that watched the U.S. Open, you dealt with effectively like the same weather that came came rushing through and then the weekend was very similar maybe not as cool and chilly as boston but the it had the similar effect and then how you know you talked about getting it to peak what what goes in like you know i when i think about somebody peaking for a for a championship i think about like a swimmer who does like a tapering program is it something similar to that with with the, with the grass that that you is it like and how do you figure out what the pro- best program is for you? Well, look, I, I think you can put a plan on paper and then you can rip it up and throw it out because Mother Nature's in charge. But yes, it, it is a lot like a taper for a marathon, for a triathlon, whatever it may be, is you, you want to have the place in peak shape. And then the week before, you want to take it easy on it. I mean, you wouldn't be a double cutting and rolling and trying to wear the greens out. Um, but you want to go into the championship as healthy as possible. And then you start ramping up and, and really going after conditions. I got you. So you, you kind of, you kind of let it get, uh, get comfy the week before you have everything built up, you get, let it get comfortable and then, and then you push it. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, with it, with your team, what's the, I know like, you know, for most championships, you get a lot bigger. How how does it work with the KPMG Women's uh, PGA you got this week? So, what's your team size look, and how does how does your relationship with the PGA work with with managing that team? Sure. So, we're very fortunate to have thirty six holes here in a in a pretty good sized staff. So, peak season in the summer, we carry about seventy of us, including the management team grounds team, everyone. Um, we brought in about 30 volunteers from around the country, from other clubs, from universities, um, and, and just other parts of the industry. And um, then when you talk about, okay, what's our relationship with the PGA? So we work directly with Kerry Haig, who's the chief championships officer. And I've said this before, but he is the best setup guy in golf. I mean, they brought him over to set up the Olympics. He sets up every PGA of America championship and he's just an incredible guy and great at his job. So we get a chance to work with him hand in hand and he's, he's cool as a cucumber and he knows what he wants as far as the setup goes. 
What uh, what are some things? I I think like you know, I think that every week without or every tournament without a doubt, like there's always a part of the conversation when it comes to setup that's like, just let the superintendent, the home club superintendent, set up the course. Like they know the course better than anybody else. What are a couple things that you've gleaned that from Carrie about setup that you might not have thought of before this week? Well, look, I, I think Carrie, number one, um, we've got new greens. We've only had them for about a year now. You've, you've played it and we've got a ton of movement on the greens and depending on weather, he's watching the weather like crazy, especially wind. Um, he's watching where the temps are going to go and he's out there trying to find four, not only four really great hole locations, but also hole locations for the practice rounds as well. So you know, I think his his goal is, hey, protect those whole locations, make sure we don't get too crazy to the point where he loses them on greens with a lot of undulation. Look, if if you're on a course with flatter greens, you're not so worried about losing them. You can shift something a couple feet. If you shift something a couple feet here, you might be right off of a ridge or on, on a side hill. Yeah, I, I mean, that's going to be one of the most fun things uh, with this tournament is is the variability and the how different the golf course could play with a, with a shift of a pin. Has he taught, you know, what's the conversation been like with using different tees and different pins? Is is that the type walk us through kind of, you know, your guys's conversations when it comes to like a specific hole, if you, if you can. Sure. Um, you know, I think his goal is always to start with, Hey, let's start with, the longest golf course we're going to have for the week and move up from there. He's got some alternate tees picked out on holes like 15, which is down and up and a, a long par four, as you know, heading back toward the clubhouse. Eight's another one that uh, I'm sure there's going to be a day this week or a couple days this week that he ends up pushing eight up. So it's drivable, which will be really fun. Eight's just such a cool hole. Um, it'll be fun to see them hit it over those bunkers on the left and, and see where those balls are going. So, uh, you know, he's, I think he's got most of it in his head and we'll see how it all shakes out. Mm -hmm. What, um, in terms of, uh, your guys is, you know, you, you obviously went through a huge renovation. Um, Andrew Green came in and it, it's a completely new golf course. Uh, what are, some things from your end that you're most excited to see as you know, you've worked tirelessly for now, what, three, four years to get to this point. First championship posted there. What are a few design uh, features or holes that you're particularly keen to watch uh, the women play? Uh, well, look, I, I think 10, 10 is such a cool hole. That little drop shot part three, um, I think every par three is going to be exciting because of the fact that they, they don't have the same club in their hand every time. Now our par threes were very similar. Now, now you've got the point where you've got, you know, four really different par threes, different distances up and down, et cetera. So I think that'll be fun. I think eight's going to be so much fun. Um, 12 is a hole that I just love 12 with Andrew raising the landing area so it plays a little downhill from the landing area. He pushed that green back and left a little bit. And it's just a really good golf hole too. So that'll be a fun one to watch. And then look, I think 17, 17 is one of the biggest changes. I mean, that green was pushed so far back and left and 
if the tees are back, it's a really long approach into that green, that punch bowl green. It's a dramatic one too. I mean, you you got to hit it in the right spot to get a level lie into there too. That's right. It's um the uh I think I think people obviously congressional's been a a championship course. It's a championship pedigree when you talk about the, you know, courses in the country that can host a major championship. There aren't that many, and congressional's one of them. And I think everybody remembers Rory um, in 2011. I believe that was 2011. Uh, and 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 now we're going to see this whole completely new, completely re redone golf course. What are the key themes with the with the new course that uh, Andrew Green has put together, and and you you guys take care of every day? What are the the key themes and differences that they'll see from the old course to this one? Well, let's start with the old course. So the old course was your typical 25-yard wide landing areas, very narrow fairways. A great example is we had 24 acres of fairway. We now have close to 50. So we've pretty much doubled the fairway acreage. Um, the approaches were very narrow, and most of them had a little rise to them. So there wasn't any chance to run the ball up. All of the approaches now are very wide, accessible. Not every hole, but most of the holes on the golf course are very wide and accessible. Um, I think the big thing is, and, and in talking to some of the players this week too, is um, they're going to scratch their heads a little bit. They've really got to think about, hey, not only – do I need to hit the fairway? It's what part of the fairway do I need to hit? And where's the whole location? And what's going to give me the best access into that whole location? As opposed to before, it was like, well, hey, this fairway is so narrow. I just need to hit the fairway, right? And then, you know, just the movement of the property now is so nice. I mean, the property flows like it did back in the in the 20s. And, um, you know, it doesn't impound water, so it can play firmer and faster, and uh, I, I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, that's I, I think my key themes from it, is, you know, really like what I took away is congressional now feels like you're in Washington, D.C. or Maryland. You know, you're in the in the D.C. area. And when you think about the land, the way when you drive around there, you're going over these big hills and and you're you know, they're just these massive landforms and. And now the golf course embodies those. They play. You play over them. You play along them. And in the obviously the tree removal has revealed this dramatic piece of land that's really in, it's an incredible place. Um, and I'm really excited to see the greens and and especially with the women's game coming in with a little bit flatter of a trajectory. You know, not having the you know the the high the towering high spinning wedge. They still hit towering high shots and incredible golf shots but just having that little bit flatter trajectory you know the the greens are going to be really fun to watch because there are bowls there are areas that repel really you know severely into short grass areas like we see at say augusta national um but then we have these really fun bowls and in, in different things there that it, it's going to be really in you know these these women are so precise that you know, we might see them play a hole completely different based off of where a pin is one day versus the next. No doubt. And, you know, I think with modern technology too, Andy, um, you know, 20 years ago when we were building golf courses, we weren't getting as deep into things like uniformity coefficient where, you know, we're able to take a mix and say, hey, I want it to a certain perspective of firmness. So 
these greens have a really nice firmness to them, even a year in. Do you guys, did you guys put sub air or precision air or one of those uh, technologies in? So we do have sub air underneath all the greens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'll, we'll run them every two hours for 10 minutes on maintenance mode, just for some oxygen exchange. But for the most part, they're there. Look, if we get a crazy thunderstorm this afternoon, we can suck the water off the surface. Now, Look, sub air is not going to dry the green out, maybe over a long <laughs> period of time, but it's this definitely is... going to get the water off. You're debunking like the the, the storyline of almost every Masters. Oh, they're going to get the, <laughs> the sub air cranking. That's right. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Toro. For more than a century with cutting-edge turf equipment and irrigation solutions, Toro has had your front nine covered and your back nine too. In fact, Toro's always had your back, period. Toro is as committed to your long-term success as tour pros are committed to their shot. That's down to top-notch customer support from Toro and its dedicated local distributors, both of whom are passionate about delivering turf equipment and irrigation solutions that solve real-world problems. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor today. So let's talk about um, the the renovation in particular. Uh, you know, getting into some nitty gritty. Obviously, you guys uh, hired Andrew Green. Uh, it was after um, you know, kind of a you were working with Keith Foster, and he had his uh, his personal issues. And it, it you know. What did Andrew bring that was different than Keith uh, to the table, and and what what were your favorite parts of that that whole project? Because I imagine you poured a couple of years of your life into that. I'll tell you. So to debunk a couple of myths with it, a lot of people said, "Oh, well, Andrew just took Keith Foster's plan and then just tweaked it a little bit." Andrew actually didn't ever see Keith Foster's plan. So uh, this is all Andrew Green on the ground. Number one, number two, I think. Um, Andrew, being a young guy, early 40s when we did this project, um, Andrew was playing to win, right? He wasn't playing not to lose. So I think a big part of that was he he was very ballsy with some of the things he did out here. And, and everything he did was just amazing, like introducing some of the ditches back from the early 30s. And, and not only just from an aesthetic standpoint, he didn't put them in just because there were ditches here in the thirties. He put them in to move water. Um, and I, I think he was very bold with everything he did, um, out on the golf course. The other thing about Andrew, the fun part was, Hey, unlike a lot of architects, Andrew was on the ground three days a week with us. He may have been on an excavator. He may have been on a bulldozer, or he was just walking green surfaces, working on inches and centimeters and millimeters on a green surface, trying to get it perfect. So we we got his heart and soul. He put all of it into this place. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's really cool. I mean, it is a and it, it's neat that he didn't see Foster's plan at all. You know, it, yeah. it, it's it, it reminds me a little bit of of um, there's a story of Chicago golf like. Harry Colt drew plans for Chicago golf and McDonald had seen them, but he had sent Rainer in to do their redesign. And he said to, he sent in, sent read, wrote in a letter, do not show Colt's plans to Rainer until after he's done with his plans. And mm. it's, it's something about like allowing, I imagine for architects, like you, once you see a plan, you kind of think of it in that. And, and this is something that always amazes me with how, 
somebody like Andrew redesigns a golf course. Like once you see a golf hole, you kind of like see the hole that way. And the ability to like look past the the golf hole that's there or the, the golf hole on the plan is uh, is amazing. Hey, did you work at Congressional as an intern? Um, did I read that uh, under Paul Latshaw? I did. So uh, this was the first place I had worked in the States. I came down to Penn State from Canada, uh, interned with Paul Latshaw Sr. in 1995 for the U.S. Senior Open. And then you know, I actually met my wife down here through a buddy of mine at Penn State, and she's from the D.C. area. They went, they did their undergrad together at Elon College in North Carolina. And next thing you know, here we are back 25 years later at the place it all started. It's, you know, it's a crazy story and it's it's pretty fun. Where where else did did your journey take you? I mean, this, that's got to be so cool. You know, the first place you you interned at a championship and now you're full circle. I imagine it's bringing back some of the feels. It's amazing. I'm sitting in the office I used to get my ass chewed in. So it's perfect. <laughs> That's great. But um, I'll tell you, um, I went from congressional to RTJ. I worked for Glenn Smickley, who is one of the best agronomists in the world. And Glenn is now uh, right out in your neck of the woods. He's the general manager at California Golf Club and a great buddy of mine. Uh, from there, I was really fortunate to... Um, project managed the construction of Kinlock Golf Club down in Richmond, Virginia. And at the time, look, they had a vision for it. Vinnie Giles was kind of the czar of the club. And the vision was to build a great men's golf club. Um, and it's men and women, but it's, you know, 90% men that play the, play the course. And um, their vision was to have a golf only club down in Richmond that was world-class. And, but you never know, right? You go build a golf course, you know, it, it could be uh it could be great. It may not be. And it, I was really fortunate that it, it turned out to be a really great golf course. And uh, I stayed there as the director of agronomy for 15 years before moving back up here to the D.C. area. And then you were at Woodmont, right? Yeah, I was at Woodmont for four years yep, uh -huh. before I came over here to Congressional. Um, with, uh, with your history, I, I mean, your background, it seems like it's a, it's a mix between championship golf. You got started with championship golf and, and then construction. Can you compare and contrast the two and, uh, it, you know, maybe maybe let us in on which one you prefer a little bit more, you know? <laughs> it's tough. Um, I I love golf course architecture. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a golf course architecture junkie. I love to read up on it. And, and so I really enjoy the construction aspect. I love projects. I mean, look, I, I would be bored if you said, hey, Pete, why don't you come take care of Chicago Golf Club, even though I love that place. It is so amazing. But who wants to touch that? There's nothing to tweak there. So I really do enjoy the construction aspect. And, you know, when you compare construction to championships, I mean, the one big similarity is you've got a massive lack of sleep. <laughs> that's it. So that's the key theme in your, in your career has been just yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sleep I'm deprivation. Aging. I'm aging in dog years right now. Yeah, I just got back from uh, you know a while on the East Coast and and I fell asleep on the couch last night. And, you know, a three hour difference is like eight p.m. and and my wife kind of got on me and I'm like, listen, it is eleven o'clock where I've been. <laughs> like, and I'm That's like, right. hey, I was up at three for a flight. Like, you gotta give me a break here. You no know, <laughs> it's uh, but the uh, talk, you know, the Latchaw family obviously has been uh, a 
you know, huge kind of, um, I always describe the, the turf world as like, you've got kind of like your five families and the Latchaws are obviously like one of the big families. Um, and, and what, what was it like working for Paul Latchaw? Um, and then, you know, in the network that it kind of creates. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, at the time in the mid nineties, I mean, there were 23 guys on staff either in school or had just graduated from school, you know, with that, with agronomy degrees. Um, you had a, a lot of guys, you had John Zimmers on, on the team as our assistant superintendent who, you know, of course now went from Oakmont to Inverness. Um, a lot of guys who are still superintendents all around the country and, and just a really good network of people. Mm-hmm. What, um, what, how is would you say the turf world's changed from 95 and how, how is like managing teams changed and, and just, you know, just in general, the, the pipeline of talent. Well, I think the biggest issue we're running into, and look, this is, this is every business. It's not just our business, but um, it's hard to find people in the turf industry right now. And not as many kids are getting into the industry. I don't think they're being introduced to it. And, and look, I'll be the first to tell you, like, look, my, my son played travel lacrosse all through high school. So he barely had any time for a job. The, the reason I'm in the golf business today is because during high school and college, I worked at a country club and that really introduced me to the business and that, spark my interest in in getting into this industry like it's not something that you go to college and go man i think i really want to study turf grass management you know most people who get into this business have been introduced to it somehow yeah i i think that's a that's a good you know point is like i always talk to people like the country the modern country club has changed because of how parenting has changed and how kid like you know perfect example is like almost every kid's in travel something, you know, that's and, right. and, and that's going to soak up a lot of, a lot of weekend days. And, you know, that's changed the pun- country club, but it's also changed the country club beyond the members down through the staff. Right. And I, you know, have you tried any unique strategies to help with labor uh, issues? Like, uh, have you, have you had any success with anything, any, um, you know, kind of out of the box ideas? I'll tell you from an out of the box perspective. No, um, we, we really work hard on bringing in a good group of interns every year. So we have seven interns this year. We've got one from Australia, one from Scotland, and then a bunch from around the country here. And that's the lifeblood of this operation. Those kids have been working 16 hours a day for six weeks straight. And, you know, between them and our management team, which is a pretty good size. I mean, we have eight assistant superintendents, three superintendents on property, and then me getting in the way. So we've uh, we've got a pretty good sized team. But, you know, when you talk about innovations and bringing people in, I think another innovation that I'm really excited about is autonomous technology. So I think, and, and look, it's it's not one of those things where people say, oh yeah, I go to the grocery store and there's no personal service anymore. I mean, I look at it from the perspective of if I could have eight fairway mowers out there working autonomously, those people who were on those seats could be doing other things to detail up the golf course, or maybe someone's mowing a green and they've got an autonomous rough mower working around the green complex, mowing the rough while they mow the green. So I'm really excited to see what the future brings for us there. Yeah, I, 
I think autonomous is is just. I mean, it makes so much sense. It, it's when you think about from what I've gathered about you know turf teams and, and teams is that the most sought after positions are are like fairway mowers or greens mower. Like you know, that's what people want to do the fairway mowing. And I think sure. in my head, it's like, well, you're going to take your most senior, your most skilled, um, you know, worker, and you're going to put them on a mower. That's like really like I, I love mowing because it's a time for me to just be alone with my thoughts. And sure. I can think about a million things while I mow. And it's like, if you can take that, that labor time and put it towards the detail work, you know, for some courses, for, you know, I don't, for congressional, I don't think it'll save money necessarily. I think what it'll do is it'll just allow you to reallocate your resources and do de- into different places where you can get more out of your, your golf course. But then when you, when you look down at maybe some municipal or, you know, public facilities, it's, you know, it could be a big cost saving thing or help solve a massive labor problem uh, that they face. No doubt. It's uh so it, how how close do you think the turf industry is to autonomous and and starting to get out there? I I know some products are starting to get close and and others are are very close. Um, but you know what what do you think are the the most important autonomous uh, technologies? For me, I think you know it comes down to fairways and roughs. Um, I don't know that personally I'd want to put an autonomous mower on our greens. Those are our bread and butter. I'd rather have people on the greens every day, but uh, fairways and rough, I think, are are really close. I think the major manufacturers are are very close to bringing product to market. I think, listen, we live in a litigious society where I think right now they've got they've got the manufacturing down. It's okay. How do we figure out if this thing runs over the neighbor's dog? Yeah. So in the UK, you see it. I mean, if you're on Twitter all the time, you see a lot of this autonomous technology being used in the UK at this point. But I think they're a little ahead of us there from a figuring out that aspect. That, I mean, and you could have it. I mean, for anybody that has a yard, they could, you know, like there's a reason you want to mow early in the morning or late at night. But you could feasibly have it going at night, which isn't. Wouldn't that be the best ideal situation, especially for somebody in a, in a climate like your, yours? Gosh, it would be awesome. It would be awesome. And then you think about it with the technology we have today with RTK and GPS. It's uh, it's amazing in that what you'll find is all of a sudden these mowers will be talking to the irrigation system, which will in turn tell them, hey we're going to have some water on on hole number seven in the front left of the fairway. So stay away from that area. So, I mean, the technology is endless. A question I have for you, you know, like obviously agronomics, everybody talks about, you know, this is a greater golf world topic, really. You know, I know you're, you watch golf, you, you play a lot, you play a decent amount. You don't play a lot, but you play a decent amount with, with agronomy you know, it's continued to advance. It is, you know, and I think it's obviously, you know, I was just watching the other night a 75 masters and I'm watching these guys putt. I'm watching them just like sweat over one and a half foot putts. And obviously the putter is different. The, the, but the greens are way different and the, the fairways are different. And, you know, just the overall, I think 
expectation of maintenance has has changed. Do you where do you think the line is? Um, you obviously have you know greens that with severe slopes. You have a brand new golf course, and you have you know all the bells and whistles. You can you can maintain it to a certain level, but where do you think the line is? And and uh, you know do you think agronomy is going to continue to push forward in terms of speed? So in terms of speed, no. Um, and, and this comes down to a personal feeling. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the whole chase for speed is passe. Um, and I was in it for a long time at Kinlock. We were pushing those 13s, 14s, whatever we could get out of the greens. And, and truthfully, you sit back one day and you realize, like, I'm watching people short side themselves and just play ping pong back and forth across the green. And they're like, I four putted that green. That was awesome. Well, that's not awesome. I mean, we want people to enjoy golf. I I don't think that greens need to be rolling 14, 15 to be fun. And, and honestly, I think if you ask the average Joe, he would tell you, yeah, that, that wasn't fun. So I think, you know, green speeds are getting to the point at most clubs where they're more realistic. They're still, they're still quick. They're super, um, they're super, gosh, I'm losing my mind this morning. Um, they're, they're very true, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, these new grasses are so true. We're able to roll them. Well, we're able to use technology to the point where we're mowing below a 10th of an inch. I mean, we're talking thousands of an inch. So, I don't know. You say, Hey gosh, I don't know if technology could go any further, but every time someone says that it, it just does go further. But I think from a playability perspective, I don't know how much further it needs to go. Yeah. It's almost like there's this chase for uniformity. And when you think about um, that, it's like, well, like if you look at a, a sport, the uniqueness of each baseball stadium is what draws people to want to go to each baseball stadium. And the, you know, every, every field's maintained a little bit differently. There are fields notorious for having a little bit slower in fields, you know, and, and you can maintain, you could also maintain a golf course. Like I think about this all the time. If I was a member of a club, I would want my golf course maintained way differently than the other clubs in my district. Because then when, when people came to my club, I would have a huge advantage over them. Sure. Yeah, if you got the the club with the fastest greens coming to town or coming to to play a match, just you know, forget to cut them that morning, right? That's right. They won't get yep. into the golf. They won't get anything to the the hole all day. No doubt, it's perfect. <laughs> so, um, what's the what's the ideal scenario this weekend? This is the last the last question. Ideal scenario this weekend, and then we're going to ask you to predict winning score. You know, just for fun. All right. So ideal scenario this weekend is, you know, a tight race to the finish and a playoff. As far as I'm concerned, the, the ideal scenario for me is, is a little bit of humidity and dry and we can really produce a great golf course for the ladies to play on, keep it nice and firm. And the winning score is going to be five under. Five under. That's, that'll be, I think that's like right in the perfect zone. That's where, we're a great play. You know, you can see some birdies. You can see some exciting stuff. But there's also a consequence to poor shots. There you go. Um, Pete, thank you so much for the time. I know this is a busy week. Uh, best of luck uh, this week. And uh, can't wait to watch Congressional on TV. Always great chatting with you, pal. And uh, look forward to playing some golf with you again soon. 
Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode was edited by Meg Atkins. Thank you, Meg. As a quick reminder, uh, we have a bunch of new stuff in the pro shop. Uh, We have a ton of hats, lots of styles, lots of colors, lots of different variations. Go check them out, proshop.thefriedegg.com. It's proshop.thefriedegg.com. And, uh, you know, support the pod that way. Thanks again. And uh, we'll be back on Monday or Tuesday with a new episode.